Um, we're in the midst of a sermon series that Doug began a few weeks ago entitled Summer Vacation, Journeying with God and with God's People. It's interesting when we look through the Bible that how often uh, people are on a journey and how God is working through them or with them as they're on that journey. And in many ways, it's the same way with us. We're on a journey ourselves, a journey with God, and it can be very interesting, uh, dynamic, uh, when as we go through that journey experience together. Uh, I learned uh, a few weeks ago that Doug wanted me to preach today, and as I was looking at trying to figure out which, uh, which journey would I look at from Scripture, I, I went to Marsha, found out what we were doing in vacation Bible school, and I learned that the primary character that they studied uh, in the Bible was Elijah, the prophet. And I thought, wow, there's lots of journeys that Elijah went on. And so I pulled this passage uh, out of 1 Kings chapter 19, a really interesting passage, and to take a look at the journey that uh, Elijah was on and how it relates to us today. To help me out, beginning, I brought this little device with me. Does anybody know what this is? What? What do you think it is? A GPS. Good job. Some people thought it was a phone in the first service, but it's not. It's a GPS. And uh, I just think it's really interesting because when I was growing up, we didn't have GPS devices. Uh, especially when we went on a summer vacation, it would have been pretty slick to have one of these. But, you know, our GPS when I was growing up was the Rand McNally Road Atlas. That was our GPS. And there would be interesting adventures that would happen as you would go on a vacation to places that maybe you've never been before. And I think one of the interesting things that always would happen would be when you'd come across a sign that would say, Detour Ahead. And you had no clue what that was going to be like or how long it was going to take you to go on that detour. It's interesting on a GPS device, if you keep it updated, you can learn how the traffic is. You can learn about the detours. You can learn about the road construction. But, you know, when I was a kid, it was just all a big, grand adventure. And I can remember one special vacation. We left at noon. My dad worked a half a day. We left at noon, and we were going to go to the Ozarks. And my, I found out that my parents had gotten reservations at this really nice hotel that had back then an indoor and an outdoor swimming pool. And when you're a kid, that's like, yes, that's the best vacation of all, you know. And we were taking our boats, and we were going to spend time in the lake as well and go water skiing and tubing. And so when you're a kid, when I was a kid, you know, water and vacations, that was like the best thing right there. So we leave at noon on this vacation to go to the Ozarks. And we had figured out that we had probably just enough time we were going to be able to get where we're going uh, to Table Rock, and we're going to be able to eat supper, and then we're going to get to get, get to the hotel, and we're going to have enough time to be able to swim that night before we had to go to bed. And as we started out on the journey, about two hours down the road, we ran into one of those signs, detour ahead. And we were like, how long is the detour going to be? What's it going to look like? And we went on this really big, long detour. In fact, there was an accident on this two-lane road that we had to go on, and so we got stuck in traffic for like two and a half hours. And my sister and I were looking at each other like, oh, no, we're not going to be able to go swimming tonight. We were so bummed because we had this expectation that we were going to be able to do something that we love to do. Well, this passage that we had read from 1 Kings 19 about Elijah, Elijah in this passage, he experiences a detour, a detour that took him a different direction than he thought he would be going with God. God's path forward and Elijah's expectations of what it would look like moving forward were two different Things. And perhaps the first lesson we can learn from Elijah's experience or his response concerns our expectations and their impact on us. As already mentioned, he was looking for something or expecting something different, something more positive than what happened. He was looking for a real turnaround in the, in the spiritual condition of the kingdom, and his expectations may have moved him into this realm of a sense of demanding what would happen with his expectations. 
You know, if we live life long enough, we realize life has uh, moments of disappointments. And if we're not extremely careful, those expectations we have will derail us uh, as they become demands of our heart. So sometimes we have expectations, we demand them in our heart, and then those expectations don't come true or they don't get fulfilled. And it's not wrong for us to hope for what's best and to look for the Lord for that. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, he says, uh, Love believes all things and hopes all things. The same is true of faith. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. But in 1 Corinthians 13, 7, Paul also says, Love bears all things, endures all things. So we need to note that between the believing and the hoping, it's sandwiched between bearing and enduring. So God holds us responsible in, uh, for trusting in him, for obedience, for love, for endurance, and for faithfulness to do what he's called us to do. He doesn't hold us responsible for the results. The results are in his hands. They're not in our hands. We cannot change people. We oftentimes can't change circumstances. Only God can do those things. And just to give a little context of this story about Elijah, where we find him in Kings 19, uh, Elijah in this chapter goes on the run. But Elijah was a prophet that God had called uh, to share God's truth, to, to give God's plan to the Israelites who had begun to turn away from God and they began to worship idols of the land. And they had a wicked king at the time, King Ahab, and he was leading the nation down a path away from God and he was leading them to engage in idol worship. And listen to what 1 Kings 21 verses 25 and 26, had to say about King Ahab. It says, Ahab, pushed by his wife Jezebel in open defiance of God, set an all-time record in making big business of evil. He indulged in outrageous obscenities in the world of idols, copying the Amorites whom God had earlier kicked out of Israelite territory. So this is the culture to which uh, Elijah had been called to be a prophet of God, to remind the king and the people of God uh, who God is and what God's plan is for them. So just before this passage, Elijah had been faithful as a prophet, and, and he basically had had a prophet showdown, like, kind of like at the OK Corral. He faced 850 prophets of Baal. Uh, and, and he called down uh, God's power, and he demonstrated God's heart in the midst of this. And, and through this experience, uh, God and um, Elijah embarrassed Baal, and he embarrassed the prophets of Baal, and he embarrassed the king and the queen. It was like the Super Bowl of prophets, and, and God and Elijah on one side and all the prophets on Baal on the other, and if they had kept score, it had been a hundred to nothing in favor of God and Elijah. Literally, uh, God and Elijah smoked the prophets. I mean, literally, they smoked them. And so um, uh, they had this big showdown, and, and God won. God showed his power and his sovereignty. And then this is where things would begin to get off track for Elijah. He expected the results of the showdown to turn the hearts of the king and the queen back to God. He expected a revival of the people, that they would return to the God of Israel. And in spite of this awesome display of God's power, Ahab's heart was not turned back to God. It was not softened to God. The people did not return to the Lord. And that's when Elijah took a detour that caused him to lose sight of God and to lose sight of God's purpose for him. And so I want us to think about in, in relationship to this story, uh, what is life like when I'm detoured? I think we can see some things through Elijah and God's response to that. So what does it look like when we're on a detour? Well, the first thing is I can lose perspective. I can lose perspective. 
Uh, looking at verse 1 in this chapter, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. What happened to Elijah? I mean, just before this, Elijah was strong in the power of God. He was, he, he was using God's divine operating assets, the word and, and prayer, uh, to bring about um, God's truth to that people. And now in this chapter we're seeing Elijah all of a sudden becomes a weakling. He's weak. He's He's afraid, he's scared, he's scared, he's running, he's operating out of his own tactics and his own solutions. You know, we can be a little bit like Elijah at times. We can be moving forward uh, in step with God, uh, following him faithfully, serving faithfully, and then a life detour can hit us. And all of a sudden we experience a complete shift of perspective. Our problems all of a sudden seem bigger than God. Uh, Life's bullies like Jezebel can seem more powerful than God. We take our eyes off of God and we shift our to, to our circumstances. So we know we can be on a detour when, we, when we've lost perspective and we've lost sight of who God is. We can also know that we're on a detour uh, when we recognize that, that we tend to isolate ourselves from others. When I isolate myself from others, I'm on a path of a detour. At verse 3, Elijah, it says, was afraid and he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there. One of the signs, again, that we're, we're moving off of a path of healthy uh, journey with God is that we've moved towards isolation. The enemy of God and his people uh, would love nothing better than to get us away from Christian community, to get us isolated so that, so that his lies can become a little bit more believable. You know some of the lies that Satan tries to tell us, and then sometimes we even tell ourselves. Lies like, I must be perfect. Uh, it's easier to avoid problems than to face them. You're only as good as you do. We, you know, as a culture, we're so performance-oriented. Our di- identity comes out of what we do, and, and yet that's not what God says about us. Another lie is you're only worthwhile if you're successful. Life should be easy. One of the lies that I struggle with sometimes is life should be fair. You know, it's the whole attitude, God, I, I've been faithful. I've I've done pretty much what you've asked me to do, and then this circumstance ha- happens? That, that's not fair, God. Why, why is that happening? Or the lie that I should be able to get myself back on track. I, I shouldn't need others to help me get on the right path. If I can't do it myself, I must be weak. So, what, again, what is life like when we're on a detour? It can also follow on the heels of a great success. Uh, we can't get comfortable if we've had some great success and think, oh, it's just going to be that easy again, and God really is using us, and we, and we can become too comfortable. If we go back a chapter to, verse, or to chapter 18, verse, beginning in verse 38, this is the showdown that Elijah's having with the prophets of Baal. And this is what it says. It says, Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, he is God. 
The Lord, he is God. And then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. And they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. Elijah had just achieved a great result. I mean, just fantastic success. He faced down all the prophets of Baal. And he called down on the power of God to burn up the sacrifices and everything else. And in many ways, he probably expected that after such an amazing display of God's power, that revival would would seize the land. That the king and queen would turn from their wicked ways and begin again to worship God and to listen to the prophet Elijah, to listen to to him. But the success that he experienced at Mount Carmel uh, against all these other prophets uh, did not translate into a revival of the land. It, did, it didn't cause the, the queen and the king to turn their hearts toward God. Instead, the king and queen were now upset. They were mad. They were going after him. And success can lead us to assume too much about life and, and about God. What does that look like? Well, if we've been dating somebody for a long time, a long engagement, and we, we think we've found the right spouse and we get married and all of a sudden we think we have high expectations of what marriage is going to be like and, and then we realize maybe marriage isn't going to be that. Maybe my, our spouse isn't what we kind of hoped, you know, that he was going to be Prince Charming all the time. Or she was going to be just this amazing, uh, incredible, beautiful, just charming uh, uh, spouse. But it doesn't always work out that way. And we, we discover that marriage maybe it's a lot harder than we thought it was going to be. So then we ask the question, now what? Or maybe we've been focused on a job and we've been seeking a promotion, a specific job, and we've been working hard, working extra hours, trying to prove to the boss we're worthy. And then we get the promotion and we get the job and then we get there and we realize it's not everything we thought it was going to be. And, and, and all of a sudden we're like, well, life's not better. What, what now? Or maybe we go for a house, the perfect house we've always wanted, and we save all this money and we're finally able to get the house and we get into the house and, and it just doesn't seem to change anything. And life's still kind of the ordinary thing. So what now? Again, if we set our expectations that life circumstances and, and other things will satisfy, then when we experience success, we think that we've achieved the pinnacle and life will be smooth sailing moving forward. Or we begin to think that if we have success, that maybe our next success will come just as easy, but then life throws us a curveball. We get something difficult that happens. We're faced with something quite different than what we've expected. And what do we do with that? So what is life like when I'm detoured? I also think that we experience detours when we're physically and emotionally exhausted, when we're spent. Look at verse 5, Elijah. It says, Then he lay down under a tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there by his head was a cake of, of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid down again. Elijah had just had this major showdown with the prophets. And do you think he expended some physical and emotional and spiritual energy? Oh, for sure. I mean, that had to be a huge, huge day. And then we're told when he finds out about Jezebel's threat, he runs for his life. And then after he runs for his life, we tell that he goes even one more day's journey into the desert. Do you think Elijah was exhausted at this point? For sure. I'm sure he was completely drained. And then what kind of condition are we in when we're on a detour away from God? Especially if we're physically, emotionally, spiritually spent. Are we in a place to make good decisions or to think good thoughts about ourselves or about God? No, we're, we're not in a position in a healthy place to be able to make good decisions. We're human. 
And therefore, we have limitations on our life. Just how far we can push ourselves. Yet we often think that we can do more than what is normal human from a human perspective, that we can go longer and harder and further than we really should. Doug talked about this last week when he was talking about the commandments that God gave us, the Ten Commandments. And one of the commandments uh, is to keep the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is all about recognizing that we're human, we have limitations, that we need rest, that we need refreshment. Uh, even God himself, when he created the, the world, you know, he worked for six days, he rested on the seventh. If God does that, why do we think that we can go beyond what his limits, what his boundaries are? So when we push ourselves beyond our healthy human limits, we're really communicating that we trust ourselves more than we trust God, that we're taking over for God, in, in a sense. And when we reach depletion, uh, physically, spiritually, or emotionally, and we push on with no regard for rest and renewal, then we're de- detouring from what God's plan is, what he set out for us. Uh, I ran across a Greek proverb this week that I think speaks directly to this. It says, you will break the bow if you keep it always bent. It's the idea that the bow, even itself, when, when it's under tension or pressure all the time, it's not good for the bow. Uh, and certainly it's not good for us if we don't find margin we don't time, find places and ways to rest and to renew. So how can God help me through the detour if I find myself on a detour away from his pathway? Well, the first thing I would say from this passage is God wants to embrace me and to take care of me, even in the dark times. Verse 5, it says, He lay down under the tree and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and he drank, and then he lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. God was demonstrating his love and his care for uh, Elijah when he was physically, emotionally spent. He was allowing him to rest, to to, uh, sleep. He was providing food and nourishment for him. You know, when we're in a place that's dark, that's kind of moved away from God, God doesn't want to shame me when I'm in that place. He wants to bring and offer ways for me to return back to life-giving practices. But he doesn't want us to be ashamed. Uh, God's grace certainly can handle uh, who I really am right now if I'm in that dark place or where I am. God's grace is so much bigger than my sin or my failure or my wrong or bad decisions. And God's grace invites me to return back to that place where I'm on the right path following God. And then I think another thing we need to consider in light of that is, am I willing to admit that I'm in the desert, that I'm in a dry place, that I've moved away from what God's heart or God's plan is for me? Can I humble myself and seek the Lord in the midst of that place? But also, how can God help me through the detour? God wants to give me perspective in the dark times. You know, we talked about earlier about how easily our perspectives can shift from God to whatever our circumstances are. But I think God wants us to to kind of shift back. He's going to help us figure out, uh, again, what his perspectives are. In verse 8 it says, So so he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. 
I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. So when, when God wants to help reshape our perspective, we need to ask the question, what is God asking me in that dark place or in that detour? He asks Elijah a great question. He says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Uh, you know, when we've taken a, a detour from God's intended path, we need to stop and listen to what God is asking us. God's question to Elijah gets right to God's heart and God's purpose for Elijah. He says, Elijah, basically saying, Elijah, I've made you to be a prophet. I've made you to be someone who's going to point people back to me. What are you doing here all by yourself in this mountain, in this cave? What are you doing here, Elijah? Is this my purpose for you? I've made you a prophet to bring revival to people. What are you doing here? I've made you to do more for me. You're not done yet. What are you doing here? God will ask you and me the same kind of questions when we're in stuck in a detour. Why are you sitting in front of the TV all the time? Your kids need you. I've made you to be a mother or a father. What are you doing on Facebook all the time? I've made you for more than just this. Uh, what are you doing on the computer? Watching pornography. This isn't my heart for you. I've made you for some other greater purpose. Why are you drinking again? Why have you isolated yourself from your friends? So many why questions. And then he's asking us basically, what are you doing here? This isn't, this isn't what I've created you for. What are you doing here? So perspective. Another question when we think about God's perspective is, how is God demonstrating his power to me? And I think when we're on a detour, we need to ask the question, how big is my Jezebel uh, in light of God's power? You know, when we're detoured, we often overestimate uh, whatever life's problems are that we're facing, and we underestimate God's power in those circumstances. You know, God had just defeated 850 prophets of Baal, and he embarrassed the king on Elijah's behalf. Do you think that God could have protected Elijah from Queen Jezebel and her threats? How quickly we and Elijah can forget God's awesome power. And then another question in terms of perspective is, how is God showing me his presence in that dark place or in that detour? Is God in my loss that I'm experiencing? You know, God was present to Elijah even when he detoured away from God's intended pathway for him. He provided him nourishment. He provided him rest. Um, he demonstrated his presence to Elijah when he was hiding in the cave. He brought his word to Elijah. He spoke to him, and he asked him that important question that helped Elijah see his folly. See, God wants to change my perspective when I'm on that detour or I'm in that dark place. How's God going to help me? He's also going to lead me to the next step. He's going to encourage me to focus on the next step today. Focus on today. In verse 15, if we go further in the passage, it says, The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint, uh, anoint Hazel king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of, over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. 
God gave Elijah the next step or steps to move forward. He didn't uh, give Elijah's instructions on every step moving forward, just enough for him to get moving and get moving back onto the path that God had provided for him, that he'd set out for him. You know, often when we're in that place, we want to know the whole set of steps. We want to know the whole plan. But that's counterproductive to helping us build our faith and to trust in God. God wants us to have a strong faith in Him more than anything else, a faith that's dependent upon Him at every turn, a faith that it's okay not knowing every detail, but to know that God loves us, has a plan for us, and He's going to be at work in and through us in the midst of every circumstance. You know, But we still, we'd like to know the whole plan. We'd like to know every step. But God says, I'm going to give you the next step, and I'm going to ask you to be faithful in that one step, and then I will show you the next step after that one. I had a, a church member at my first church I was serving in, and we were actually became pretty good friends, and he was in a men's ministry, a Bible study, with me, and he had gone through some pretty significant struggles early in his life, and there was a lot of pain that he hadn't dealt with in a helpful way, and, and as he moved forward, he began to make some bad decisions, kind of operating out of that place of pain, and some decisions that really affected his family, his wife and his kids, and, and he ended up getting into, uh, the, the, the relationship was uh, separated, he wasn't with his wife and his kids, and and through the whole time, he was really not doing well. But then God, for whatever reason, God really got a hold of his heart. And he began to turn, and he softened, and he realized he'd made some really bad decisions. And he'd hurt some people. And he asked if he could meet with me, and we could talk about that, and how he could kind of work towards uh, uh, moving forward in a healthy way. And he really felt like God was telling him he needed to go and confess what he'd done to his wife and his kids, and he needed to ask for their forgiveness. I mean, that's an amazing thing. Uh, when somebody's in that kind of a situation. And so I was affirming him, saying, yeah, I think absolutely God wants you to go do that. But also the challenge was he began to ask questions about, you know, questions that would be go beyond him doing that. You know, would my wife, would his wife uh, accept him back? Uh, would she forgive him? Would the kids forgive them? Is there a way forward for him to be reconciled to them? And, and is it possible to basically return to the family the way that they designed? And I said, look, wait, 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 before you worry about all those other things which you're not in control of, and only God knows the result of, just be faithful with the one thing that God has asked you to go do. And it was really hard for him. And I think it's really hard for us. You know, we know maybe what ne the next step is, but, but God, we want to know what steps 2 through 10 are as well. But God says, no, no, I want you to genuinely have faith in me. I want you to depend upon me. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 and 34. He said, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So again, when we're on a detour and God wants to help us get out of that place, I also think God wants to use others in my life. Elijah thought he was all alone. He thought he was the only one that was still faithful to God. But God told him there were other faithful leaders. He was to appoint two other faithful kings that were going to do God's work. He was to go anoint another faithful person to become a prophet of God too, Elisha. Plus the scripture tells us that there were 7,000 Israelites who were still faithful to God. Elijah was not alone. 1 Kings 19.21, it says, Then he, Elisha, arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So I think a question for us when we're in that dark place or a detour is, will I let other godly people minister to me in my dark times? You know, when we're stuck in a detour that has us off course from God's intended path, we need godly people 
to come alongside us and to help us get back on track. And God did not design us to be able to do it all alone. He designed us to be dependent upon him and to be dependent upon his people. And I think the key question is if we're going to let godly people help us, really gets down to this question. Will I submit my pride to the altar and humble myself before God and humble myself to ask for the help of others? You see, pride and stubbornness and a self-sufficient attitude will only extend our detour away from God's purposes. In the midst of this story, though, I just think there's so many ways to look and see what God is doing in the midst of Elijah making some not great decisions. I mean, through this whole thing, I think we see that God is good, that God is faithful, that God is present even when we take a detour. He doesn't leave us in the midst of that. That God's grace can absolutely handle who I am or or where I am. That his grace is sufficient for me even in the detour, especially when I'm in the detour or when I'm in a dark place. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for the way that you demonstrated your love and your presence to Elijah, even when he was struggling and when he made some poor choices. God, we thank you that you have demonstrated your faithfulness to us as we've made those kind of decisions too. Uh, when we found ourselves in, in a bad place or a dark place. God, we're thankful that you have a purpose for us, that you, um, you demonstrate your provision for us, that your grace is sufficient for us no matter what we've done or where we are at. Your grace is so much bigger than those things. God, thank you again for your faithful presence in our lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.